Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I've got a really fun story to tell us today. Well, I think it's fun. It's a, a story from Isaiah. If you want to read it later in the day, uh, Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. Uh, and it tells the story of a king called Hezekiah. And it's a story of, of when he and and the, the, the city of Jerusalem was faced with a, a kind of impossible, hopeless situation. They were faced with a, an enemy who was uh, sarcastic and cruel and very, very powerful. And it's a story of the faithful God. And uh, I just want you to think, though, and to know that we have times in our lives where we are totally out of control. We're totally in the at the whim of other people. And there's situations that are just beyond us. Sometimes those situations can be health. They can be things going on in our families. Uh, just situations of life. And we are stuck, as they say, between a rock and a hard place. It seems like there's no way out. We feel belittled, ridiculed powerless and you kind of get this feeling that the devil's got his claws into the situation in some way you know those sort of situations you get in occasionally yes where's their hope yeah now we've also been talking about uh in the past weeks from isaiah the god who is the glorious god the powerful god he's perfect he's planned the future uh, he knows everything. And kind of what I'm talking about today is here's a practical application of what it is for us in life where we're caught between an impossible situation and the God who is all-powerful. And how does that work out for us, especially in a time of hardship? Okay, that, that's, that's kind of where we're at. So I'm just going to pray and then I'll start. Father, I pray that you would apply this message today to our lives and that you would help us to see the way that you work in us and the way that you work around us and you work in all things to create your good. I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in Isaiah 36, whilst I'm following right through the chapters, I am skipping a couple of bits just to try and keep a little bit short. You know how good I am at keeping things short. Starting at Isaiah 36, verse 1. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Jerusalem and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road of the washerman's field... Okay, now what? give me a bit of background. What's happening here is Assyria was an incredibly powerful nation, at that time the most powerful on earth. And it had been systematically going around Israel and taking over various cities, various areas, and it had taken over the whole nation. And it came and it, was, it had parked its incredibly powerful army around the last bastion which was Jerusalem. And there they were. They were camped just over there. When I say just over there, about 50 to 100 metres away. They are, And they're there at the wall, and they're looking very threatening. And we're told later that this, this army was hundreds of thousands of fighting men. 
Okay. Now, there's three main people, or four, really, we've got to understand from this. There is King Hezekiah, and he has a prophet who speaks to him, who is Isaiah. And we're reading from the book of Isaiah. And then the enemy, there is the King Sennacherib. Now, he's not actually here at Jerusalem, but he sent his field commander, who's an unnamed field commander, like a general, basically, and he is in control of the situation. So he is parked just outside the city, and Hezekiah sends out three of his trusted officials to talk to this enemy field commander. I guess they're trying to make a peace treaty or something like that, or that's what the field commander's hoping for. So in verse 3 it says, Elikim and the son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder went out to him. Now immediately this Assyrian field commander tries to belittle the people with threats. And what he says are facts. And he says, the field commander said to him, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria... So in other words, there's only one king. Don't look at other kings. Just the king of Assyria. This is what he says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? Now this is the confidence. They're not surrendering. They're holding up. They're staying inside the city. Not surrendering. You say you have a strategy and military strength. But you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Now, what... uh, the, the this uh, field commander doesn't know. He's, he's assuming you're, you're relying on your military strength. Or maybe, he says, you're relying on some allies. Maybe you're looking to Egypt, to the south. Maybe you're thinking they'll look after you. So in verse 6 he says, Look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces a man's hand and wounds him as he leans on it. In other words, he's saying Pharaoh or Egypt's like a crutch, but the crutch has got splinters and they're going in under your arm. They're not going to be very good. Are you going to lean on Pharaoh, king of Egypt? To depend, you're going to depend on him? In other words, are you going to look to allies? And then in verse 7, And if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord. Now that's Yahweh, that word Lord there. In other words, this field commander from a foreign nation who worships pagan gods is using Yahweh on his lips. He's saying, are you depending on Yahweh? Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? In other words, he's saying, hey, all you people, Hezekiah went and got rid of all the worship spots for Yahweh, didn't he? Which he did, except for they were the false worship spots. He, he got rid of all the false idols. So this bloke doesn't understand the true worship of Israel. He was saying, oh, Hezekiah got rid of all these other gods Well, he's making you weak because, you see, more gods equals more power as far as they were concerned. He says, and he goes on, Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I can give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? What he's saying here is, you've got this weak little pathetic army. We've got couple hundred thousand fighting men. How about I give you 2,000 horses? I'll give you a bit of a help along. Have you got enough soldiers to put on those 2,000 horses? I doubt it. And they're probably all old men anyway, you know. Furthermore, verse 10, have I come to attack and destroy the Lord without, uh, destroy this land without the Lord or without Yahweh? Yahweh himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. See what he's using? He's trying to put doubt in their minds and saying, 
But your God told me to come and take you over anyway. Is God really with you? So what he's saying is this. You've got no allies that will help you. Hezekiah took away all your gods. You've got no military strength. And Yahweh's on my side. You're all in trouble. You're stuffed. Now, as the field commander was speaking, he's right there on the wall. And he's saying, he's speaking loud. And what he did was he didn't speak in the language of the Assyrians. He spoke in Hebrew. And so in verse 11, Elikim and Shebna and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. In other words, why are you speaking in Hebrew? Do you want everybody to hear it? Which is, of course, exactly what they wanted. They wanted the people to hear it. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine? In other words, he said... I'm speaking in Hebrew because I want everybody in Jerusalem to hear and I, I, I want them to be all crushed. And I want them all to know that if you don't submit to me, you'll all be starved and you'll be sitting in your own sewerage. That's what he's saying. He's, he's basically giving threats. And then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. In other words, don't listen to your pathetic king. He won't save you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh when he says Yahweh will deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. In other words, he's saying Yahweh won't save you. Don't listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. In other words, submit to me and I'll bless you. I'll let you have your own land back. Sounds a lot like, I think, when the devil's tempting Jesus and he says, the devil says, I'll give you every kingdom on earth if you just submit to me. I've got such blessings for you. But he's got nothing. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? And then the field commander, he lists off all these gods and countries that they've already beaten and said, we beat them, we beat them, we beat them, we beat them. What Are you, are you going to be the one? Is Yahweh going to save you? Now, the people were on the wall listening, and this was an attempt to make them very fearful. It says in verse 21, though, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king, that's Hezekiah, had commanded them, do not answer him. The people actually submitted to Hezekiah and they didn't listen. They let the words bounce off. I'm sure they were afraid. And then this envoy, these these three that Hezekiah sent out, they came back and they told him everything and it says they tore their clothes in sadness. And this chapter 37 verse 1 I think is the key verse to the whole story even though it's halfway through. When King Hezekiah heard this he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth And he went into the temple of the Lord. Do you hear that? He didn't call on his allies. He didn't get say, I'm going to get Egypt on the blower, see what they've got to say. 
He didn't go and count his soldiers. He didn't sit down with the strategy team, call a meeting. And he also, he didn't run and hide under his bed either. He went in humility, in sackcloth, he went to the temple to pray. That's his first reaction to face, face when he's faced with that problem. Because I have to say, if I think about my life, and it, it's, I think it's embarrassing really for me, when I'm faced with problems, I, I, I do a whole lot of stuff. I, I have these, you know, I might talk to a trusted person with wisdom. Uh, I, I'm, I might make a dumb decision in haste. Uh, I, I, I do all sorts of things, just try and use my wisdom. Whereas Hezekiah's first reaction is he goes to the Lord and he prays. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't go and count his money. He doesn't. He doesn't hide. He went and prayed, and then he sent those officials and the priests to Isaiah the prophet because he's saying what he's saying is I'm going to pray to the Lord and I want to hear what the Lord's got to, to say to me. Now, that's an incredible humility. It's also a humility that he went to pray, but he, but he expected to hear from God's prophet. In other words, he wasn't saying, God's going to tell me. He's, he was happy to hear God's word through the way God had set up to hear his word. Now, he heard through the prophets. We have the scriptures, and we can hear from God there. So he sent, this is verse chapter 37, verse 2. He sent Elikim the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that God, sorry, it may be that the Lord, your God, will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And that he that he will rebuke him for the words of the Lord your your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. Now Hezekiah is saying, I don't know what the Lord has in mind. Maybe he'll save us. Maybe he'll hear Sennacherib's uh, ridicule, and he'll hear these threats and these actions. I don't know. Um, but. I want you to pray for the remnant. That's God's holy people who are left. Pray for them. Because the remnant is this idea that's right through the Old Testament that God always has a group of faithful people that he's saving and bringing to a purpose. And when you talk about the remnant, the remnant goes right through time. It's not just about my life. It's about a longer period of time. In other words, he says, we want to pray for the big picture, God's big picture, his promised line, because they knew, knew right from the beginning, right from Genesis 3, that that promised line would bring salvation to the world. So he's praying for God's purposes, even in the current threat. And Isaiah sends a message back in verse 5. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what Yahweh says, Do not be afraid of what you heard. These words which these underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put a spirit in him so that when he hears a certain report, or the word there could be a certain rumour, he'll return to his own country and then I'll have him cut down with the sword. 
It's then that the field commander starts hearing, oh, there's a battle going on in here where Sennacherib's fighting and there's a rumour that Egypt's going to come and march and, and he takes off for a while. He hears a rumour. God, God's whispering in his ear. God's actually taking charge of the situation. And he's called away, but he wanted Jerusalem to know that they were still in trouble, even though he'd been called away. So he sent a letter to them. He sent messages, this is verse 9, to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. And then again he goes in this big thing, this is all the nations we've beaten, this is all the gods we've beaten, you're nothing. And in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messages, he read it, and again, he went straight up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. It's an incredible picture of Hezekiah goes into the temple. He's got this letter from the enemy king and you can picture him kneeling down and he puts this letter in front of him and he says, you're going to have to deal with this God. You deal with this. And then he prays this prayer in verse 16. <clears throat> O Lord Almighty, King of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Syrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. And then Isaiah the prophet sent a message back to Hezekiah. This is verse 21. Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is, what the, word, this is the word the Lord has spoken. And this first word is the Lord, what the Lord saying to Sennacherib, to the, to the enemy. The virgin daughter of Zion, or Jerusalem, despises and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it that you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. In other words, hey Sennacherib, you've picked a fight with the living God. And you've said how you've destroyed all these powerful armies and nations. But I, Yahweh, am the one in control of all things. And I'm in control of the rise and fall of nations and you're not. You've boasted about your power. You've boasted about your power before the God who is Lord of all and who made everything, you silly little man. He didn't say you silly little man, but he meant that. He goes on, this is Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah, but I know where, you, this, sorry, this is God speaking to uh, Sennacherib, I know where you stay and where you come and go and how you rage against me. Because your rage against me, because of your rage against me, and because of your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. In other words, listen to Nacarib. 
You haven't picked a fight with Jerusalem or Hezekiah. You've picked a fight with me. And I will send you away with your tail between your legs. And then the Lord, through Isaiah, encourages Jerusalem. He said, this will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year, you will eat what grows by itself. The second year, what springs from that. And in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. In other words, know this, Hezekiah. You know, this year, you're not even going to plant crops and you're going to walk outside this city walls and you're going to, you're going to reap. You're going to harvest. It's all going to be there. And next year, it's going to be the same. But the year after that, you better do a bit of, better do a bit of groundwork. In other words, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have crops again and you are not going to be taken over. In verse 32, he said, For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I want to just take a little tangent here, because I want to talk about Jesus for a second, but I'm going to come back and finish the story. So I'm kind of leaving you on a cliffhanger. This is a commercial break, but it's a really important one, okay? Okay. Because... When I, the, the, the statement, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, he's saying that that, that that particular statement was used once before in Scripture. And that was in Isaiah chapter 9. And, and he's saying that, firstly, know that from the people in Jerusalem, you are, there is going to be a band of survivors. In other words, actually, in the long term, things are going to go bad. But there will be a band of survivors, and from this will come a remnant that will survive and that remnant will bring forward a saviour. Now he said the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This is Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You hear what he's saying here? The zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish something. I'm going to send you a saviour who is going to be the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counsel, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and of the increase of his government and his kingdom, it is going to spread out over the whole earth. That's going to come. It's not coming right now for you, Hezekiah and people, but it will come, and that's the salvation that they all look for, the salvation that we know came through Jesus alone as he brought his salvation. In other words, what um, God was saying through Isaiah to Hezekiah was, I'm going to save you in the short term. Things are going to go bad. There's a big picture as well. Have the, have the small picture, the medium-term picture, the long picture. I'm telling you why. Because you see, I'm going to save you now. When, when I don't, and things seem to be going terrible... Just know that I'm in control right out here for the big picture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you see, it's God's promises for the long term that hold us sometimes when things are going bad in the short term. And we need to know that. And we know, you see, 
sometimes, for instance, if you talk about healing, sometimes God brings healing to people. And that's it's a wonderful miracle. But those people eventually die. And then we go to the long term. God has it in, a, in his long term plans. Through faith in Jesus, there is a resurrection. Can you understand what I'm saying? That's what we need to know. And so that's what God, through this, is saying. There's going to be a remnant and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will, or the zeal, I love that word, it's the fire, the fiery passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's finish the story. Hezekiah is told, look, Sennacherib won't fire a single arrow in your direction. He won't do a, he won't, he, in fact, he's just going to take off home. And in verse 35, God says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That's the great king of David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. How about that? Just like that. God destroys, he, he wipes out, they're not all dead because some people got up and saw all the dead bodies, but it seems like he sent some sort of pestilence or plague and disease and in one night, it's, it actually reminds us of the Passover, doesn't it? when the angel of death passed over, but killed the firstborn of Egypt. God defeated... The people didn't... You know that night in Jerusalem, the people were in fear. They went to bed. They woke up the next morning in the Battle of Benoga. While they were sleeping, God wiped them out. Isn't that awesome? We sang before in the song earlier today, He's fighting our battles. That's what it means. That's why, you know, I say, isn't it crazy sometimes, I talk about me, but we look to we look to crazy, unpowerful, impotent stuff to try and help us in times of need when the all-powerful God is right there and we can talk to him. For us, we need to know this. Whatever we face... Impossible, hardship, hopeless, helpless, out of control. God is in control. God's in control. He's the one we should turn to. He is the all-powerful, glorious, holy God. Now, Sennacherib went to his own country, and soon after he was in his own temple worshipping his own gods, and someone came up behind him and killed him with a sword. <laughs> a sad end, really. But that's what happens when you stand against the living God who's in control. Now, we're in this position where I think we're kind of in the place, I feel like sometimes, where we go into bed, it's all a bit nervous, the army's surrounding us, we don't know how this situation, whatever that situation is, is going to finish. We... We don't know what God's going to do. But we can have hope. Because the God we know has the short view, the medium view, the long view, all in his plans. And we can go to him, 
even when we face death and we can know he will keep his remnant safe, he will keep us safe through all things. And, and I'll quote Jesus again when Jesus says, some of you will be killed by the sword for your faith in me, but don't worry, not a hair on your head will be harmed. In other words, I've got you, even if you die, I've got you still. We can rely on him, whatever we faith, because you see, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. So if we were to go somewhere else for wisdom or strength or anything else, we'd be crazy, wouldn't we? He's the God. Kneel before him. And if you've got a problem, hey, write it on a bit of paper. Kneel down, lay it before him and say, I can't deal with this God. You can. Just lay it before him. Because he, he's everything. Put your trust in Jesus. And I pray. Father, I just want to give you thanks that you are trustworthy and faithful and powerful. And we want to confess that so many times we've relied on human strength, human wisdom, rather than turning to you. And uh, we confess that's pointless. We need you. You're everything to us. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us by your Spirit to be men and women who quickly submit to you, who quickly kneel before you, and who live with the great confidence and assurance that we know the holy, glorious, powerful God who created everything and has a good purpose for all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.